to episode 64 of Be Me to Sick Bay. I'm Mira, your host. I'm here with McFreeze. I am here too. <laughs> and Ace. I'm here as well. Uh, uh, and this is uh, this is Be Me to Sick Bay, as I said. Uh, <laughs> we got a show tonight. We uh, delayed unification so that we can talk about both parts one and two together. So here they are, parts one and two of Unification, the episode where they talk about reunification a lot, which is very confusing when you're like, wait a minute, the episode's called Unification, not Reunification. Why didn't they just call it Reunification? That's my question. No, that it's about reunification and not just unification. It would be a spoiler. Is it? Is it a spoiler? Yeah. Okay, I guess you're right. I, I can't argue with that. (laughs) <laughs> How have you guys been this this last week? I've been doing all right. Been kind of busy with this and that, that and this, but otherwise doing doing pretty good. That's good. That's good. I just love doing stuff. I've got stuff to do. You know, mm-hmm. they make you know, we got these chewy pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are terrible at this. <laughs> It's pre-show I, talking pre-show about pre-show banter. Okay, yeah. okay, you, you don't. You, okay, so you were really excited to hear about like, oh, I did a Street Fighter. I ho- helped host a Street Fighter online tournament yesterday. And then oh I, yeah, that's rad. Actually, that is rad. Eh? It's cool. And then I, uh, um, I played some Blaze Blue in a little friendly round robin tournament today with some friends. So that was fun. Nice. That was fun. Yeah, uh, sounds like fun. Yeah, I'm really excited for. Hey, Evo Week is here. It, it yeah, I'm definitely going to be watching that Evo. I'm definitely not going to be doing other things with my friend McFreeze, who's going to be in town. Hey, wait Ooh. a second! It sounds like McFreeze is going to be down in town, and you're going to be doing different things. That's I'm not going to be watching hearsay. Um, yeah, you heard me say it. Ah, well, I suppose I know what you two are up to, but I'm really looking forward to Evo. Well, that's true. That's true. That's one you of are. us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're looking forward to Evo. I haven't watched Evo in a long time. I used to watch it occasionally, but I don't really. I don't know. After going to Combo Breaker and seeing it live, I just can't watch stream, man. It's not the same. It's not the same. So what are you What are you two bozos going to be up to? Well, guess I don't what? Know. We, I need, we need to figure that out. Old, I have some very exciting new gotcha characters to play with. <laughs> We love gotcha. It's summer, summertime in the gotcha. Oh yeah, the, gotcha the living universe. is very difficult. I think it's easy. I think that's how it goes. Uh, well, true. Yeah. <laughs> the hard part is that they make like twenty new characters a year, and you can't get them unless you pay nine hundred thousand dollars. That's I'm starting to think that yeah. gotcha is a scam. That's kind of how it works, yeah. Yeah. Don't don't get involved in gotcha kids. Don't play the gotchas. They're a they're a trap that you can never escape. Played some Grand Blue Versus. Does that count? Yes. No. That, does, that has a gotcha in the single player, and it's just loot it? boxes, and oh. it don't cost kind, money. Kind of. Yeah, they just get weapons out of those, which you that's have not. To... You have really? to combine you get, them. You get then... to build your weapon grid. Aren't you excited for this gameplay you know and love? Does it, it have a? It has a weapon grid. It has a weapon grid. Of, oh okay, my god! Tell me if this is anything like real Grand Blue. You have to get a bunch of weapons and then you put them on the grid, and you generally want them to be all the same element type. 
unless there's like certain weapons that have like cross element elemental abilities where they become viable um you need to upgrade their levels and also their skill level and then you need to combine a number of them so you can uncap them and make those weapons at a uh, to be a higher level is that is that like real grand blue yes that is exactly real grand blue you've played real grand blue how do you not remember this I, play, I played one chapter of it. And you only uh, played the part uh, where you get the characters. Oh, yeah. I see. Uh, yeah, no, um, that is that is just Grand Blue. That's what it is. Okay, I've been trying yeah. to grind out. So uh, Grand Blue Versus is getting a sequel, and I'm pretty sure that means the original servers are going to be sunsetted here at some point. Um, so I'm trying to get all of the codes that I can off of the PS4 version because I've just been giving them to Rug. He doesn't even play it anymore. You should give him to me. Um, I'll. I've just been DMing to him. To him, I'll ask him if he really doesn't care, and if he doesn't, I'll just no, give him to you. It's fine. I bought the game myself a long time ago, and I need to actually play it and uh, get some DLC you, so I can get the codes too. I just want the Belial skin. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, just get the Belial one. Um, you can just give PSN like five bucks, and you'll get Belial. Um, the only, the only like, if you want easy ones, like you get a code just for owning the game. Get a code, obviously, for having a DLC character. Yeah, you get like a Sunstone or an Evolite just for owning the game, which is why pretty much I bought it. But then I never actually like opened the game to get the code. <laughs> well, <laughs> so get, get I it do now. That someday. Get it now while like the like that shit is still up. Well, while supplies last. Get it I now. And uh, it, also, like the JRPG mode, like maybe you'll get something out of it as a Grand Blue fan. I was just I was kind of thumbing through the cutscenes and being like, ah, oh, Grand and Jita are here. That's not right. I will probably not... also say that because that's not right. Um, Canonically, they both do not exist. That is impossible. Except for in that one, that one summer event. There, there is there. a good bit where they're like, okay, where did you come from? They both say the same place. All right. All right. What, who is this? Oh, that's Lyria. We, we both know her. We met her at so-and-so. No, it's not right. But also that is right. Why do I know both of you? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, make any everyone's sense. Everyone's all on this multiverse shit. It's fucked up. Then, but then Belial makes out with the verses, and he gets horns, and he's like, "I'm Avatar Belial." That's true. That did happen. That did happen. Is that a thing from the actual Grand Blue game? He doesn't make out with verses, but it does happen. Yeah, he gets horns. Oh, normally he's just horny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, We're just nodding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. That's true. <laughs> this is true of Belial. Yes. Um, but you've yeah. seen the summer Belial art, right? No. Uh, I'll link it to you later. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family uh, podcast. Well, I can I can't show anybody on the podcast. We don't got no video, so don't worry. You can't see uh you can't see Belial's vagina bones on the podcast. You can just picture them in your mind's eye. Oh my god. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. Oh, for me, I had I had an anecdote to share. Is that uh somebody posted a tweet on Discord last night and it was just like a some some tweet about cuisine or whatever and I looked the name of who posted it and I recognized it and so I started looking through their Twitter and this is a friend of mine from like 20 plus years ago like the guy had the same name and same writing style I'm like I think this is somebody I used to know 20 years ago so I sent him a message and sure enough it is so I reconnected with the guy after 20 years from uh some post he made on Twitter that's that's the power of social media Social media. The couldn't have done it without Elon Musk. No. 
I could have. I could. It would have been better. Like this was a very ironic because this is the same day that I finally got a blue sky invite, and I was gonna be. I was ready to be done with Twitter forever. And now, guess what? I'm gonna be talking to this guy on it. Just when I thought I was out. Seriously. What's like what, what's, uh, what's Twitter? I don't know of that service. I'm not talking about X again. I'm. I can't. It's too painful. It's X is in the corner. Um, when it, on the new app, it says, "Oh, search on X." And then, yeah, uh, it's it's terrible. It's terrible, man. It's really bad. This whole thing. It's awful. And I noticed too. They finally got tweet out of there completely, and they're just like, post your reply because you know, you want to just change your your well known brand trademark of tweet to post. That is like such a weird vindictive thing because there's no. It's so weird. <laughs> I saw there was something I saw earlier that was like, um. Tesla and SpaceX are set up specifically so that Elon's ideas do not see the light of day. That's how I, they I survived, I'm good. sure. Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't know how SpaceX would be a thing because I, I do think a lot of like parts of SpaceX are cool. I'm, I'll say that out loud. It just sucks. It has to be associated with uh, that fucking dude who sucks so much. Um. And then Tesla, of course, is I don't need to say anything about Tesla and what a fucking train wreck that whole thing is. Yeah. It's more of a car wreck. Hey. Anyway, I'm now on Blue Sky and I'll be posting updates about the podcast on Blue Sky when I can. So uh you can follow me, Merc.bsky.social or whatever it is. But I, I did get the beam me to sickbay.com um URL, so I need to get that set up so you can just be like at beam me to sickbay.com. Blue sky blue sky. Blue sky. Blue Sky is very nascent still, and like there's not a whole lot to look at on there. But I will say one thing that's nice about that website is that there is virtually zero sponsor sponsoring or advertising of any kind. And it's kind of cool just being able to scroll down a timeline and see actual people interacting. Yeah, no, it reminds me a lot of 2009 Twitter. Like it, it definitely has those same vibes. It's, yeah. It's kind of insane to be able to see people having conversations and <laughs> interacting in normal ways it's like whoa we and, used to have this this is crazy and the scary thing is that as that site gets bit bigger that's only going to go away oh, oh yeah. yeah absolutely yeah but well we can enjoy it while we can now that we all have invites thank you to the people who've invited us <laughs> i don't know how you actually get invites i've had it for like a i think a little while now and it's Still been still gotten zero invites. I don't know how you're supposed to go there. Yeah, maybe you got to use like the website. Two Ew. weeks until you get an invite. Okay, so so continue waiting. I'm gonna post more funny memes. What's post your, them. I ain't seen shit from you. What's your What's your favorite meme, Mark? Uh, I am partial to any of the um. What is that one meme called where there's like it's some number of dead things? Uh, fuck, world is a fuck. World is a fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah oh, like that that, that is a good one. Yeah, that's the... yeah. Find some good world is a fuck memes. I'm a I'm a big advocate of uh, caramel dancing. Frankly, what about the uh, what about the Captain Picard song? Where I don't said, know that one. Captain Jean Luc Picard, USS Enterprise. Make it, make it, oh, make, yeah. it make it, make it, make it so. I can't believe I none, none of us said. I can't believe none of us said Picard facebomb. That's we're, not we're, a meme. It is it, a meme. It, that it was absolutely one of the original. Yeah, it's just yeah. ancient. It's got dust on it. It's old. That meme. 
Uh, no, it has never been a favorite. Uh, I guess the other, I guess the other one would be Picard with his hand out. Uh, what's the caption for that? You know what I'm talking about. He says, "Why the fuck?" As he's ponti- as he's speechifying at Loxana Troy. That's right. On the monitor. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that one. You know that one. People, you will. You know that one. I'm sure say, I do. I, I, say, I why like, the oh, fuck right. do you go to the store and you drive on the parkway, but you park on the driveway? Oh, see, I don't like that format of meme where it's like observational humor stuffed in a picture. You know what I mean? I don't like that. I think it's mostly just this image to my knowledge. Oh, that picture. Oh, hey, slinked me the picture and now I know it. Yes, never mind. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. All right. Unification. unification. It's, we got we got some unification to talk about. Spock's here. Spock is here. We got Denise Crosby's back uh, in part two. And um, what else? What else? Oh, Stephen Root is here playing a Klingon captain. That's fun. Hmm. Did you guys pick? I, did you miss that? Oh, I, I saw his, I saw his name in the opening credits, and I'm like, oh, Stephen Root is in these episodes, and I'm like, oh, he's the. Captain, of course. Yeah, that's a uh... yeah. He's the guy who just existed to be made uh, made fun of and say, "Oh, uh, I think that that's this way." And then Data says, uh, "No, actually, you're stupid, and I just owned." No, he actually he also exists to uh, to make fun of Picard and Data too, especially in part one. I don't know who Steven Root is. You do. He's the guy from News Radio and Office Space, and he was in Get Out. Uh, uh, he plays uh, Bill Dotrieve on King of the Hill. Like you, you definitely are familiar. I probably with like. Him. Um, I've probably seen him in multiple things, but like, I don't know. Like, if you told me, like, oh, that's Stephen Root, I'd just nod my head and say, yes, you're correct. Well, I'm doing that with this thing on Captain. I'm pointing at him and saying, "Hey, that's Stephen Root," and I'm sure yes, you're going you to. Yes, you are correct. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that right. is accurate information <laughs> I'm being presented with. Yes, Stephen Root uh, as a Klingon captain. So anyway, Unification Part 1. Uh, this is a two-part episode. This is the first two-parter that the series has had that is not a cliffhanger season finale. Uh, very, very fun and fascinating. Um, so there's It's first... so much better for it, by the way. <laughs> like, it is nice not having a dumbass cling- a cliffhanger at the end of these two-parters, yeah. Well, it's like a, a cliffhanger that makes sense, right? Like, well, yeah, like, like the episode opens with us finding out that they're going after Spock, and then the the last scene is like, "Oh, here's Spock." Like, it's like, not a surprise; it's not a shock. It's not, "Oh, you got to tune in next time to see what happens." Yeah, no, it's just like anticipation for the follow up. Yeah, it's great. It's and and it doesn't feel like the next episode was made half a year later or edited half a year later for like a, yeah. a season premiere it's just like it's just like oh no this is just a natural ending to what the first episode set up great yeah it's like you just wrote an extra long episode and it's good yeah yeah uh, so this first aired on november 4th 1991 uh this teleplay was written by jerry taylor and the story was by rick berman and michael pillar uh it was directed by les landau and the in-universe date is 45233.1 so you're 2368 and this is the first part of the two-part episode where Picard and Data have to travel to Romulus to find Cav- uh, Spock, Ambassador Spock, who has been spotted there and they suspect he might have defected. 
Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, that's the dun, 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 dun. He did not defect. Spoilers. Everybody knows that. Like, that's not... A, you can't be like, oh, yeah, he defected to Romulus. Anybody who has any slightest familiarity with Spock would never believe that for one second. But that's the hook they give you. It's like, oh, we gotta go to Romulus and see if he defected. Well, what if he was taken over? Uh, remember that guy who was, like, a big head? And uh, he programmed data to make them fly to him that was barkley yeah barkley the other data <laughs> sparkly the other data yes 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 mm-hmm. yeah, i yeah. know the guy you're talking about yeah 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 uh yeah what if he was on romulus now that would be funny it. i'm thinking Think about, about it, it and okay i'm moving on uh so this <laughs> opens this opens with finally we get a, a title of the card showing Rip Gene Roddenberry. He has uh, died. He died. I think the, the game was the closest episode to airing uh, to his death, but this one was the one where they had the time to put the title card up. So Rip Gene Roddenberry, he has died in 1991. He to have died in both of these episodes. Yeah, it's in it, the title card thing is in both. Probably. Do you think they aired this as one episode at the time? No, that can't be right. No, no, no. Yeah, um, they didn't. They were a week apart. Mark, say some words about our dear departed Gene Roddenberry. Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I Put just that don't fucker have... in the dirt. No, I mean, we've talked about Gene uh, Roddenberry a lot on this on this show, and we've said not a lot of favorable things, just because, like, he was an old man that had a lot of old man ideas. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he did create this, this series, which uh, has far outlived him. And and that credit is not to be ignored, you know. Like it, it, you got to give, you got to hand it to him. I guess. Yeah. Damn. Um, because he, he did, I, and he, he had a vision for humanity too that was really admirable for the time. And you you do also have to kind of hand it to him for that. No, I mean, like I think, like for all the faults, and there are a lot of faults. Like he was definitely like a progressive form time and helped bring like people of color as just like not as stereotypes but just as like regular additions to like a, a serialized serialized tv show that is like meaningful well and nationalities too like the the original series had a crewman who was russian and at the yeah. time we were in the cold war like deep in the cold war so that was unheard of but he was he was envisioning this this future where everybody on earth was just one one nation and one people and nowadays you know that gets you conspiracy theorists who think you're going to take your guns away or whatever but at the time that's a it's really just an admirable thing to go for just to imagine an earth at peace with all nations working together well og star trek that was like early 60s right Mm -hmm. yeah like for early 60s that's really like that is like an impressive thing to not only get on tv and keep on tv for years but to like have like you know create a following like, I think that does, like, you know, that is, like, a net good for society, kind of having those ideas per, uh, perfect, perpetrated. Yeah, and I think overall, too, like, Star Trek has continued with that and uh, and for the most part has had just that that positive kind of view and impact of the future. And, mm-hmm. and that you do got to give the credit for him. So thank you, Gene Roddenberry, for creating Star Trek. It's a shame you got old and then sucked. <laughs> wow. it's a shame you had some some uh old thoughts as an old man um i would simply never get old <laughs> he had uh, some i wish that were me when he was not as old as well let's be yeah fair. but those were normal okay. at the time you know that was he was mm. he was of a different generation 
Wow. So we we open with Picard saying that they they were on a terraforming mission, but it was canceled for reasons soon to be explained by an admirable uh, an admirable an admiral whose name I did not write down. I don't know what her name is. She's in here for like a minute. So she tells Picard that one of the most revered ambassadors disappeared, and he's been spotted in an unauthorized visit on Romulus, and they suspect that he's defected possibly. So she shows Picard this image taken from a long range scanner. Which wow, this technology. How they got the whole neutral zone between the Federation and Romulus, and they can get this picture from the surface of Romulus. It's insane. Like, I, I have to assume they have like something in the neutral zone that's like taking the picture, right? They must. They have to. Like this is nuts, but it, it's a really <laughs> like blurry, out of focus picture. So the computer zoom in, enhance, and it's like oh, it's Spock, and Picard is shocked to see Spock. Um, Why actually, didn't you I, zoom and enhance it beforehand? Because <laughs> we can I, see the technology up front. I, I have two questions about this. Yes. A, how am I supposed to know who this fucker is? I never wa- I've only ever watched the, the New Generation, and they're just all shocked about this guy I've never met. Why would I care? That's right. That's, that's right. Im- that's impossible, I'm going to say. Like, I think, I think, like... <sighs> Whatever awareness anybody might have had before Star Trek, uh, like if because I never watched TOS, I never watched any of the TOS mm-hmm. movies. I knew who Spock was. You know, you know what, what Leonard, I mean? Like it's you, impossible to not know who Spock. You know is. what Leonard Nimoy looks like. Yes. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's like like I'm almost even more than William Shatner. I'd say he's the face of of Star Trek just because mm-hmm. he's the alien guy. He's got the pointy ears. You can point at him and be like, "That's the science fiction guy." You the, know? the only reason, like. I, I might say that uh, uh, Shatner maybe has more of like a, a well-known, like n- almost no- notoriety about him is that he puts himself out there like, more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like he is advertising himself to the nth degree, like compared to Nimoy, even back, like, you know, I, I was not watching that much TV in the nineties and in the two thousands. I, I just felt like I saw a lot more like Shatner than I did Nimoy as like guest appearance stuff from original like Star Trek. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but I just mean that, like, visual wise, it's yeah, much no. easier to see the Vulcan ears and Spock's yeah. haircut and just be like, "That's totally. Spock." Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and uh, my other question is, when when you guys were watching this on your crusty ye olde uh, CRT TVs back in the day, back whenever you know it was uh, in syndication. Could you tell that was Spock? Like, was that clear enough? Because I felt like that image, even in our like 1080p uh, streams here, that was not super clear. And I can only imagine, like, on an old TV, if that was easy to make out. Uh, I honestly don't remember. Okay. Because um, I, I can really easily, like, having that big dramatic music sting and be, everyone, like, at home being like, what? Who is that? I can't even tell. It's just a smudge. Well, it must have been good enough because they wouldn't have put it out otherwise. So <laughs> that's an interesting theory. <laughs> they simply would not put out something that doesn't look good. Yeah. Well, my my experience with TNG that I've spoke about before is is um I watched it mostly in syndication, so I would like just tune in and catch like the middle. Like I'd, I'd miss the first ten minutes of an episode and watch the rest okay. of it. So there was a good chance I didn't even see that scene when the first time I saw this episode. That and probably sense. just saw Spock at the end and, and then easily recognized him because you hear his voice too at the end, and his voice is also very very recognizable that Leonard Nimoy voice. Do you ever think that that's like such a weird way to like approach? tv now could you like could you imagine like watching tv where you just take for granted that yeah i'm probably gonna miss like the first five minutes of the show because i'm not i might not be like glued to my tv for like those first five minutes or whatever 
That's, no, it's that's gone now. Like prestige TV, TV has killed that. Yeah, now now if you're if people stop watching your show in the first twenty seconds, you get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. But also, like, there's so many shows too where if you even miss the previously ons, you're lost. You know, I, like if it, you try to watch Game of Thrones without the previously ons, it's rough. In the uh, Expanse, which is a great TV show, some people should continue watching. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, in season four, they got um, so they got canceled on Sci-Fi, which everyone got really mad at because obviously um, they got bought up by Amazon. And in that first Amazon season, they didn't do previously ons because it was no longer on TV and it was on streaming only. And boy, let me tell you, it's really hard to watch a TV show whenever they don't tell you what happens last episode uh, unless you're binging it. Because yeah. there's so you much know, stuff that's... that happens in a 45 minute episode of television. Well, and that's why they don't do the previously ons anymore, really, for TV shows, because everybody, they just assume that people are binge watching them and stuff. And that it's just a waste of time. But I think that's shit. Like, I've always been a big fan of those previously ons just because I, I appreciate the editing that goes into them. Yeah. And I think sometimes they're a part of the actual episode. Like, uh, I talk about Buffy so much, but there was that one episode of Buffy, like the end of season five, where they weren't sure if they were going to be renewed, and that's the one that Buffy actually dies in. And mm-hmm. they had that that previously on. I don't remember if that showed that to you guys when I streamed it, but the previously on took clips from like uh almost every episode of Buffy and just layered them all in, and it was part of the episode. And then when you watched it on streaming later, they had taken all that off. You didn't get that anymore. And there's also times where it's like you know the previous on will the previously on will like show stuff from like an episode from like a decent while ago where you might not remember about a character returning or something and you just need that context again before they actually show up yeah Yeah, i'm like i'm like 24 i remember that would happen where it's like something that happened like six weeks ago it's like hey remember this guy he might be coming back yeah. Well, yeah, and that Maybe. was very relevant in a show like 24 because it's all taking place in 24 hours. So as somebody that you saw in 10 episodes of television ago could easily come back because, hey, that was only 10 hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I think previously ons are good. If anybody out there who makes TV is listening, keep them in your damn shows. Yeah. Or I'll beat you. No. Anyway, we get a captain's log um, that Picard is studying the intel reports on Spock. And he says he feels a more personal connection to this because of his mind meld with Sarek previously. That was back in the episode called Sarek. Um, and they're meeting with Sarek to find more information. So they're, they're headed to Vulcan. Uh, Riker tells Picard that they're almost in orbit and they've informed Perrin, Spock's mother and uh, Sarek's wife. Or no, I think she's Spock's stepmother. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. My bad. Uh, Sarek's wife, that they're uh, there and why. But she says that Sarek is too ill to make the trip to the Enterprise himself. Uh, Riker asks Picard how well he knows Spock, and Picard says he only met him once before and mostly knows him from history books uh, and through his mind meld with Sarek. And Riker's like, oh, so you should know him pretty well then. And he's like, oh, no, it's not as as well as you'd think because they weren't that close. They just fought a lot. Um, and Picard asks Riker what he thinks of a, of a pad. He hands him this pad and it's got information that there were some metal fragments from Vulcan equipment found on a Ferengi vessel and that they've uh, they've sent them to Vulcan for identification. So that does become relevant, sort of. That's that, that plot. I feel like wastes some time, but we do get the bar scene from it, so it's it's all good. That's important. <laughs> we that get both important. bar scenes from that, and that's the most important thing in this entire two-parter. Uh, so parents on board the Enterprise, and Picard gets her some mint tea, and she's like, oh, "I haven't had mint teas in years. You know, these Vulcans—they got something they call mint, but boy, it ain't mint." <laughs> it's a good detail. <laughs> Thank you, Perrin. 
And uh, he asks Farron about Spock and she, she kind of turns and gets sad in a real hammy way and says that he didn't even say goodbye to his father before he left. And, and Picard's like, well, is it possible he didn't know he was leaving? And she's like, oh, no, he wrapped up all of his affairs first. He just didn't say bye to his dad. <laughs> and Picard asks what happened between them uh, and Spock and Perrin, uh, between them and Spock. And Perrin tells him that they argued a lot always. But that well, when the debates on the Cardassian Wars started, Spock publicly attacked Sarek's position, and that caused a real rift between them. So she's so like, he, she's like, oh, I'm so mad at him for attacking his father's position. I was like, really? You you're mad that he was not loyal in politics, so he's bad. Sorry, Spock, but your saying. mom kind of sucks. Stepmom. That's true. <laughs> She's allowed to suck. Yeah, no, I, I, that was weird, too, because uh, she specifically is like, oh, yeah, it wasn't anything between me and Spock. It was him and him and Spock. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I was the one that got upset about that. Like, thank you, Perrin. Th- uh, um, thanks, Mom. Always creating the drama. But uh, he asks her if Sarek has any idea why Spock might have left. And she says she doesn't know. But she says uh, Sarek is just wasting away in bed. He's whispering to himself and that he uh, he wants to reunite with his son and heal any rift that might remain. So Picard asks her permission to see Sarek, and, and she says, you know, if it was anybody else, I wouldn't allow it. But because of your uh, your guys' closeness, because of this mind meld in the past, it, it, you can you can see him. So in the cargo bay, Riker and uh, LaForge are examining the metal fragments, and they know by the metal that it is Vulcan, uh, and that it was made for use in space, and that the Ferengi found it in an asteroid belt, or, or they found it in a Ferengi ship in an asteroid belt, or something. I don't know. We see some metal fragments. Mm-hmm. And there's, then, a real, there's a bunch of shit on the floor yeah it looks like it's been spray painted silver mm-hmm. that's it's really great looking so we see uh next we see Sarek lying very uh in a very uncomfortable looking marble slab of a bed what is with vulcan beds at least it's got a at least it's got a mattress but jesus it looks very uncomfortable uh and he's just like <laughs> fidgeting and and like talking to himself and it just looks kind of like uh he's lost his mind you know they're they're uh by the way they're better than klingon beds at least uh, yes we're gonna get to the klingon beds very shortly <laughs> i was just thinking about that um so baron tells picard that he's been he's like this most of the time that his emotions have just taken over and she's just she shakes him and she's like Derek, you will listen to me <laughs> she says she's like picard's here he wants to talk to you and he just mumbles at her and he says uh no more chaos or something and she's like, well, mm-hmm. I'll leave you two alone, and either he's going to acknowledge you or he won't. That's such so, a, I wouldn't leave, I don't know, I guess it's Picard, you can trust him, but you think you'd want to be in the room for your, your dying husband. No, she's she's done with him. She's like, I've <laughs> had enough of this. This is too stressful to be around. I'm going to go have a tea or something. Uh, so Picard tells Sarek that he's here to speak to him about his son, and that calms him down. Uh, and Picard tells him that Spock is missing. Uh, Sarek turns and he recognizes Picard and, and Picard just says, hello, old friend. And Picard informs him that Spock has been reported on Romulus. Sarek asks him why and Picard's like, well, I, I hope to find that out from you. And Sarek just like kind of composes himself and he gets up and he starts to walk around and ponders it. And, and he uh, hey, says, hey, are you going there to find him? And Picard asks, uh, yeah, but is there anybody on Romulus that Spock could know or choose to contact that you know of? And so he gives it some thought, and Sarek suggests maybe uh, Pardek, a Romulan senator whom Spock has had a relationship with over the years. Uh, they met at the Kittimer conference, he says. And um, he recalls that Spock came to him with optimism about maintaining a dialogue with the Romulans. 
And then Sarek just kind of starts bitching about his son. Like, I told him Romulans are never going to be our friends. <laughs> he never listened to me, though. It was illogical. You can definitely tell that, like, while he is becoming a little more lucid, he's still kind of, like, stuck in it. You, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's not fully there yet. No, no. Yeah. Uh, so Picard tells Sarek that um, it's been suggested Spock might have defected, and Sarek immediately just spits out, never. I'll, I'd accept many things, but never that. And and so Picard's like, but you believe he went to go see Pardek? And we we immediately get the hint that his brain is just not there because Sarek does not remember that he just told Picard about uh about Pardek, and he says, how do you how do you know Pardek? And, and there's Picard's a great like, there's a great little moment, yeah, where where whenever Picard is asked that, Picard just like you see this like state of like shock, acknowledgement, realization, and he doesn't try to like remind uh uh Sarek about like you know oh you just told me he doesn't like kind of go down that rabbit hole thank god um he just is just, he's just like I've I've heard of him yeah yeah he just moves on to get more information out of Sarek and so Sarek starts to to ramble about how Spock always used to go off on his own without telling his father where he was going when he was young he used to go off to the mountains and and I used to punish him and he still wouldn't tell me and he'd just leave and go off on his own and he's he's rambling and his energy is just spent you can see and he lies back down um Picard sits down with him and tells him that uh that he knows that Spock has caused him a lot of grief but also that he loves him and Sarek tells Picard to tell him uh, and he tries to open his fingers to do the Vulcan hand thing Picard helps him make the Vulcan salute and uh and starts to starts it for him which is like what is it long life or something uh the, the first part live, of it live long and pro- live long peace and, and long prosper. life peace and long life and then oh. the second part is live long and prosper yeah I'm such a fake fan <laughs> i mean i didn't remember either i didn't write it down live long and prosper everybody knows there's a first part to it though um but yeah and then then picard just leaves him ah poor Sarek. so the enterprise go ahead oh go ahead i was just gonna continue with the story the enterprise needs a cloaked ship to cross the neutral zone so they're on their way to the klingon homeworld because they're the only ones around who will lend them a cloaked ship and uh, they're like, well, since we helped Garon, he should be willing to help us, right? But no, Garon has been ignoring their hails for three days. And oh, well, Worf, Worf, stuff to do. You know, Worf suggests that he might know the reason. He says that Garon has been rewriting Klingon history to kind of deny the Federation's involvement with it at all. He says, oh, I, w- I won that world because I'm great. It didn't take anybody else's help. And Picard doesn't care about Gowron giving him credit at all. He just needs a damn ship. So he asks Worf to get somebody on the High Council, maybe uh, maybe Kettle or somebody to um talk to them data meanwhile has found footage of pardek and they observe that it is the person spock was seen next to on romulus so data tells picard what they know of him which somehow data has all this information about romulus somehow i don't know how the hell he got all this information but he's like oh yeah pardek's a senator for nine decades but he's been dubbed a radical by other romulans for his desire uh for peace and attempted reforms but he also like he's a he's presides over the crockton settlement and he has a home there that he visits regularly on wednesday every week maybe he was just like he was looking well, at like romulan msn.com he was he was he was really getting the best use out of that long-range camera i guess he really was observing it um the morph gets a response from the klingon homeworld finally but it's uh neither galron nor cattle it's some other klingon picard um the other, it's uh, the junior adjutant to the diplomatic delegation named Vychek. And so they put him on screen and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Picard, both Gowron and the High Consul are busy and they won't be able to talk to you today. 
And Picard's like, oh, has Gowron seen our messages in the last three days? Oh, Gowron's a busy man. He has no time for everybody who wants a piece of his attention. And he got, Picard starts to yell at him, but he composes himself and he tells Vicek, uh, well, we just need to ask Gowron for a favor. We need a cloaked vessel. And Vicek's like, oh, that's no small favor. How would it benefit the Klingon Empire? Uh, Gowron is going to ask. And Picard tells him that there would be no benefit except their gratitude. Uh, but if Galron can't lend him a ship, he's sure that they can find somebody else in the Klingon Empire who can, and then that person would have their gratitude instead, which gets the message across. I really like that over time, Picard has become like a master at dealing with Klingon politics. Like he, At this point, he, it's just kind of like putty in his hands. He's possibly the best in the Federation at it now at this point. <laughs> he's yeah. I like it. What I like is how upset Picard gets at being big-timed. He hates it so much. <laughs> he does hate it so much. His he handles it a lot better. This. He handles it a lot better in Riker versus a foe that's even greater later on. <laughs> so Riker ex- really does not like being big time. I'm it's so excited. That, that um, is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I, I was complaining about that plot, but it does bring me like the favorite parts of this two-parter, so I can't complain about it too much. Like, it, I feel like it doesn't really go anywhere, but at it, the same time, it brings us to so many places. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it like does not need to be in there. It's kind of just padding out time, but it's great, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's good padding. <laughs> I'm okay with good padding. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so uh, Picard also adds, please tell Galron that. Uh, I am immensely gratified that he is prospering so well, a tribute to his skilled leadership. <laughs> like, very wow. just tongue-in-cheek. Like, yeah, he definitely got there on his own, he's so, buddy. He's so catty, jeez. I love it. I love Picard being catty. Um, so in sickbay, and you know, I was I want to say too, uh, the I noticed like this season especially, they've really allowed Patrick Stewart to emote as Picard so much more than they have in the past, and I love it. I eat it up. Like he previously, I feel like in the first two seasons, I don't know if that was his choice or if he was being directed to be very like stoic, but now he's, he just gets angry like sometimes and he just fucking has had enough of everybody's crap. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good. Uh, yeah. I heard, I've heard him talk about how like he was kind of, he was very uptight and serious in the first couple of seasons. Um, even around the other actors. And so that may have carried over into uh the acting maybe yeah yeah i think that was in the captains he mentions that actually yeah yeah uh so in sick bay crusher is fitting data and picard for romulan prosthetics and we learn that data's ears are not removable that's your little data factoid for today they are fully integrated into his head Um, it's true we've never seen him take off his ears you know it's a difficult special effect to do uh Riker comes in to tell them uh to let him know though that they have still haven't heard from Galron but Jordy has made some progress with the metal fragments in the cargo bay and uh Dr. Crusher says it'll have to wait a few minutes because they have an appointment with Mr. Mott to have their pair pieces designed they do not show us Mr. Mott though I we can't believe mention. this they've shown mercy to no. us no no one wants, no one wants to see Mott. Mr. Mott I want to see Mr. Mott um, so Jordy says it's a navigational deflector array, uh, and they've even identified it from a ship called the T'Pau. Um, Worf hails them to let them know that a Klingon vessel is decloaking off the port bow as well, compliments of Garon. So Picard tells Worf to tell the, let the Klingon captain know that he and Data will be transferring over soon, and Riker says that he'd like to take the Enterprise over to Quelar 2, which is where the T'Pau is supposed to be docked, to see what's out there. 
on the Klingon vessel, the captain, who is played by Stephen Root, and whose name I did not write down. Uh, do they say his dumbass. name out loud? They do a couple times, but not often. He, he, I was waiting for them to be like, oh, it's this guy, but he's just kind of just, he's a Klingon captain who's there to be yelled at. Pretty much. Well, he yells at them a bit too. Kavada. His name is Kavada. I found it. Um, so that's the Klingon Captain Kavada, played by Steven Root. Um, and he wants to know the details of their mission. And Picard says, oh, it's classified. I can't tell you. And, and he knows somehow that they're going after the defector, Ambassador Spock. I guess secrets are hard to keep in space somehow. And um, Picard just refuses to acknowledge it and answer it. And they head off. And he shows them to their quarters, which they will have to share, he says, because this isn't a pleasure of cruise. We don't have a lot of space. Um, and so it's like very clearly a, a shitty quarter for design for one crewman. It's a really not a great looking quarters. It's like all rusty. And, um, and he like, takes him over to the to the quote unquote bed. And he's like, uh, you'll be using a traditional Klingon bed. We don't go in for padding. And he knocks on it and it's like solid metal. <laughs> and it's and good. It's Picard good is back. so diplomatic. And he's like, oh, I prefer that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And tells them that they will be taking their meals with the rest of the crew. And it's only Klingon fare. And Picard's like, oh, good. I have been looking forward to some cock. I haven't had some in a long time. He turns to Data. He says, very fresh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's doing his best. Uh, he is. So they, they arrive at the border of the neutral zone. And Picard confirms his plans with Captain Kavada that he is going to go through with this. So Riker takes the Enterprise uh, to the Federation Supply Depot on Quelar 2 to find out more about these metal fragments uh, and how they ended up in the hands of the Ferengi. And the Quartermaster, whose name I also did not write down, um, there's a lot of names in these episodes. And boy, yeah, I ain't got time to write this shit down. there's a lot of people, especially we, Romulan. The Romulan Quartermaster, a Zach Dorn named Klim Dokachin. That's it. That's the guy. Remember, He's got a it's like, face. wow, remember, remember um, the guy who came to play space chess against Data in that episode with the droopy, ripply face? Mm -hmm. oh, we yeah, got another one of those. Babies. Yeah. It is Black one of those guys. I had the, the, I was like, the male, uh, the male bald pattern uh, <laughs> aliens, because <laughs> yeah. they all have this. There's another one in that club in part two where he has the exact same hairline. That's just how their species works. It's normal. It's normal. Um, but the quartermaster, uh, Klim Dokachin, just hangs up on Riker as soon as he finds out that he hasn't scheduled an appointment. He's like, oh, contact scheduling, and hangs up. And Riker just immediately starts to get pissed off. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? And so they call back, and uh, um, he's still very unhelpful um, because Riker's just like, we need to know about the ship. If you can just give us access to your computers, we don't need your help. We can just look it up on our own. And he's like, oh, well, I don't allow outsiders to access my computer system. And he's like, well, you can have somebody else look it up for us then. And, oh, I don't have a lot of manpower to do that right now. And so Riker's like, well, what do you suggest we do? And he's like, I don't know. Contact me again when you've arrived in orbit. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, come he's on. so he's so awesome i love him i love and the, the whole time too that he's having these calls with Riker. he's not even directly facing the monitor he's like turned to the side doing other work like i'm too busy for you i don't he's have time got for this shit to do stop this is, bothering him this is the reality of the space future it's not everyone being all peppy be like boy howdy i can't wait to help the federation no you'd be on fucking like hour 10 of your shift when all the fucking all of a sudden Riker calls and he's like give me all your files and you're like all right get in line yeah, I love I love that they show us his perspective. 
And Troy points out to Riker, too, that, like, you know, he's the king of this particular hill. You're just going to have to treat him like one. And Riker says instead, oh, I think this sounds more like a job for you. And she just make, uh, makes a uh, face. Is that is this sexual harassment from, from Riker? This is sexual harassment, yes. This is absolutely sexual harassment. And we all acknowledge it firmly in this episode, too, because the next scene is the uh, the quartermaster is on board the Enterprise. And uh, when they've arrived to orbit and he just wants to look around the bridge, he's like, oh, you know, I don't usually see the ships when they're whole. They usually just send them to me when they're they're taken apart. And so the uh, Riker kind of nudges Troy at him. And Troy's like, oh, uh, you know, we just we need to help to find this one ship and um, or something. And, and he says he probably figured we don't get a lot of handsome women out here and I'm more likely to respond to your request. He's probably right. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> God damn it. <sighs> He just doesn't care. He's like, yeah, I'll go with this. You're very pretty. Yeah, you um, know what? Got my ass. Fair. Fair. <laughs> so he immediately goes over to the computer and he, he shows them the where the T'Pau is supposed to be docked and gives the helmsman coordinates to where it should be. So they, they arrive at where the ship should be. And the quartermaster mm-hmm. is telling Troy about how he found once a 14 foot long eel in someone's locker on the ship. Cool. And she's like, "Oh, really?" And he's like, "Yeah, you want? I can show it to you when we've got some extra time. I still have it. I nursed it back to health." He's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I love who this could, guy. Who could not like this guy? I I do really like him a lot. And uh, predictably, though, we, they arrive there and they find that there is no ship. Uh, and he is shocked. He's like, "We've never lost a ship at this yard. This is ridiculous." And and so Jordy asks him if he knows what happens to the uh, to the ship's navigational deflector array. And his records show that it was transferred to the Tripoli, which is a ship at the edge of the yard that they, they put shipments to. So they go to check out the Tripoli, and they also find it missing. And he's just like, what the hell? This is impossible. And he says that, like, like we, we had a ship, shipment to the Tripoli yesterday, and we have one scheduled today. It should be here. And so Riker goes, uh-huh. And he, uh, he's like, we're going to park over there and pretend to be one of these abandoned vessels and wait and see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, it's a good plan. So on on the Klingon ship, they determined that Picard should get the sleeping shelf, which I love this interaction. Data's just pointing out, like, this this cabin is obviously designed for one person. There's, there's only one bed. And Picard's like, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. When Data's like, well, since I don't have to sleep, you should get the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> like deciding said. to not call it a bed. No, well, I insist that Data should get the shelf. I, I also like uh, there's a part previous where the uh, Klingon captain is talking to Picard and he's all like, I hope you don't mind the shelf. And Picard's like, this is just how I love him. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's like, well, we're not going to have Federation food. We'll have only Klingon food. Picard's like, well, I love God. I already said all of these things, but yes, I'm nodding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, just, i'm sorry i'm just thinking about how much i like the card go on no it's good it was a good scene it's worth mentioning thinking about again. how much i love gach we all love some fresh fair some fresh gach you all love something that sounds like you're choking whenever you say it it's <laughs> also when you're eating it um picard lies down and tries to get comfortable on this slab of metal while data just stands there and i i love the acting where you just see Picard, and i'm sure it's he's not really acting very hard because it's a literal metal shelf that he's trying to lay on but he's like trying to use his arm as a pillow and get comfortable and he's just like getting uncomfortable because data's just standing silently behind him and data says he's processing information on the romulan empire uh so that they can like infiltrate it better and and so he's like okay fine but then data's like turned towards him and so he's like why are you staring at me he says oh i'm not staring at you sir i can face the other way 
I don't know. The whole scene's very cute. Picard gives up on sleep very quickly, though. Um, and which is lucky because they're called to the bridge by the Klingon captain, coincidentally. Why didn't he just have, like, Data lie down? I don't know. You know what I mean? You know what? You know what? I was, this is the most, like, 90s comedy writing they've ever had in this show. Like, I just think this is just, this is an Austin Powers scene. It it is. It is. The, the, The problem, I think you would need Data to sit, to lie down because if you have him sit down, he would just have his, like, legs just kind of, like, splayed out. He would just look like an elf on a shelf or something. I'm sure he could sit down naturally. Like, it can't be hard for him to hold a natural pose as he's sitting down. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know. There's got to be something he could do. Uh, so the, the Klingon ship has monitored a subspace message uh, that he says, my interest Picard, and it is that Sarek has died. Uh-oh. So on the Enterprise, they detect a ship approaching at warp speed with no transponder signal or subspace marker. So it's like the secret ship. And uh, they find this unidentified, heavily armed ship with a lot of weapon cargo entering the location where the Tripoli should be to receive the Tripoli shipment. And so the Enterprise kind of whirs to life and contacts the ship, who starts to turn around to flee. uh, But they don't answer it. Instead, they lock phasers onto the Enterprise. And Jordia is, like, warning Riker, hey, this ship matches our armament, by the way. So this is an actual threat. And uh, the ship fires phasers on them, and they they do the shaking thing. And uh, Riker orders them to fire on their weapon system just to get their attention. Uh, but because the ship has modified with so many weapon systems on board, it just immediately triggers a chain reaction that explodes the ship. Whoops! Well, uh, you win some, you lose some. He, there was an attempt made. Um, <laughs> we tried. He, I, we, I, I probably should not have fired. Like, don't they have like ways to like incapacitate ships that aren't just like straight up shooting them? I don't think they do. I mean, tractor beams, but that doesn't work on, like, a, a shielded ship. I thought they had, like, an electromagnetic thing they could, like, fire at ships. Maybe I'm making that up. Like a net. I don't think so. What if they shot a net? A big net. Yeah, I like, mean... Uh, like that one that they catch Spider-Man in. Yeah. Hmm. I'm pretty sure Spider-Man... <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Spider-Man throws those nets. He's... No. What there was, are you talking about? Some kind of Spider-Man with electrical powers? I don't know what you're talking insane. about anymore. My phrase is talking I don't know about what Huntsman. I'm talking about. Huntsman oh. throws the nets that catch Spider-Man. I see. I guess, I suppose those are electrified. Uh, but yeah, uh, Riker, you should not have shot the ship. I'm going to say. I'm going to say. Or at well, least not- they had to though, because the ship like did match their armament and could have honestly destroyed them if they didn't do anything. They really, they should have showed the ship just, just, you know, weighed down by thousands of guns and like everything chain reacting on itself. I wanted to see how that all worked. They didn't have the budget for that, unfortunately, but that would have been much better. That would have been a good thing to put in the remaster. Just like slowed the ship up with like cannons all over the place. (laughs) They just all explode in turn. Um, But yeah. So we see Data in his Romulan getup. Predictably, he looks like a Romulan. He looks the camera like Data, pans around. But a Romulan. Yeah, and the camera pans around to reveal Picard, who also looks like Picard, but now a Romulan. Uh, there's they're very look like the, they're very lucky that all Romulans look like dudes in makeup because they also look like dudes in makeup. They got the prosthetics to look like dudes in makeup, so you know it worked out. <laughs> um, Zeta asks Picard about him seeming pensive since they found out uh, about Sarek and, and Picard says you know that the, the tenor of the mission has changed for him 
uh, since he now has to inform Spock that his father is dead. And, and Data's like, well, Spock's a Vulcan. Shouldn't he take this news as the logical conclusion to Sarek's life? And Picard's like, well, it's not so simple, you know, because first of all, he's only half Vulcan. He is half human. And then also they were they were always in conflict uh, for so long. And now the chance to resolve that conflict is gone forever. So it's it's a difficult situation. And third of all, we know for a fact that all this Vulcan emotions shit is bullshit and they're just trying to look cool. No, I mean, it's not it's not bullshit, but we know that Vulcans, they're not Vulcans are not without emotion. They've just learned to control their emotions, which we've we've talked about briefly on the show before. But like um, and especially somebody who's who's half human, who doesn't have just that pure Vulcan blood is going to have a harder time with that, too. So so he's kind of a more more fiery Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like how too the very opening of this part two is him being f- just fucking pissed off that Picard is there. <laughs> like, oh, you got no emotions, huh, buddy? Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Nodding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the Klingon captain uh, laughs at them <laughs> at the sight of the two fake Romulans, and he warns Data that some Romulan beauty might take a liking to him and lick the paint right off his ears, which is a good line. And uh, they're ready to transport down to the surface, and the Klingon captain makes it clear that his orders do not include rescue missions. <laughs> By by the way, that line is used in the recap, and I was getting really excited for Robbie's lady to come on the data. Oh, I thought you were talking about the rescue mission he was going to do. No, no. no. That would have also been good. Um, So on Romulus, we see Senator Podek, he's visiting pro-consul, a pro-consul rather, who asks him about Picard and if he's seen him. And he's like, oh, no, I've never seen him, met him before. And and he's like, oh, well, I've received information that Picard is on his way here. And uh, he orders Pardek to distribute Picard's likeness to the security forces and remind them that he's probably disguised as a Romulan. So Picard and Data arrive on the street where the image of Spock and Pardek was taken. And Data is, is very bad at being undercover here. Like he's jerking his head <laughs> around. He's like, Picard has to tell him, like, you're moving like an android. Stop it. You could have chosen anyone to come on this infiltration <laughs> mission. Well, he probably does need data for like data's a walking computer. It's kind of useful whenever you're on a recon mission. You can they just not, call him on the phone. They would not have been able to hack the Romulan data banks without data, but I think also data should be more capable of being an infiltration guy than this. He's always, him- he always is doing like pretend emotion stuff, but now he's forgotten how to do it. Yeah. Well, his entire thing is that he can observe and learn. He does this in part two, even, where he's just really good at observing things that happen and then being able to just recreate them on his own. Even if like he doesn't understand the purpose entirely, he can do a a walk cycle as like a Romulan naturally. He, he should be able to, to note that. He can yeah. do uh, the famous comedy of uh, Shooter McGavin. Remember that? Remember when that guy was there? No. Mm-mm. No. He was saying, hey, I'm uh, I'm doing Rodney Dangerfield, but I'm not Rodney Dangerfield because we couldn't get him. That was, who what was the comedian who was actually in that? Um, it was just some dude. It was no, he was McGavin. an actual comedian. No, it wasn't Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin. Was some dude or McGavin. I'm gonna fucking Google this right now. It was the name of that episode, The Outrageous Akona. Akona Comedian. It was, uh. Oh, Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo, yeah. It wasn't Shooter McGavin. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? No, the the Joe Piscopo (laughs) thing was good, remember, because they wanted to get Jerry Lewis. 
uh, but they couldn't. So they got Joe Piscopo and had him do a Jerry Lewis impression. <laughs> That's right. It was Jerry <laughs> Lewis. Oh. We yes. love television, the magic we, of Hollywood. We do. We do. Um, and I, I think Data is totally out of character here, though, because he should absolutely know better than this, especially because he was like preparing for this. Like he knows. And Picard has to remind him too to not call him Captain. He's like, dude, we're undercover. Come on. <laughs> oh, Captain Picard while walking down the street, like right next to a bunch of people. Do you think we should go to uh, this government official's house right now and see if he's there? Well, and they try to. They do find the house and uh, they, they knock on it, but it's nobody's home. The hours aren't open. I, they, say, they say like it's a public office or something like that. Um, so, they, so Data's like, well, we should probably keep it under observation as Pardot comes here when Senate isn't in session. So they get some food while they wait, standing at a table while two little uh, bowls of soup are brought to them by an older w- woman. And they ask her when the intercessor's office opens for business. And she's just like, uh, why? You're not from around here, are you? I haven't seen you before. And they're like, oh, we're from uh, the next town over and um, or something. And and, Data, and she's like, I don't believe that. You don't sound like you're from that town. And Data starts to tell her that, like, uh, actually, uh, despite common knowledge, there are actually 12 dialects. And Picard cuts him off. And he's just like, yeah, we're from the outskirts of town. Just, you know, when it opens. And so she this, like, really gives us a quick insight into uh, life on Romulus because mm-hmm. she immediately is just like thinks they're undercover operators uh, that are here to investigate the intercessor. Like it's it's such a heavily surveillance uh, culture that everybody's just paranoid about that kind of thing all the right. time. Mm-hmm. Where, where like secret police are not uncommon and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which is like not. Uh oh, that's not great. No, it's not great. But I love how how quickly and easily they yeah. they convey that in well, the scene. It, it, it's a cool like little dovetail where like she's suspicious of them, and you, the viewer, are like, does she know? And it's like, no, it's because she's like, she's she's suspicious of them because she has a reason to be suspicious of people just trying to come in their shop and like maybe narc on her for being a supporter of the underground or whatever other reason they might want to try and like, you know, get her into deep trouble. Yeah. Life on Romulus seems bad is what (laughs) (laughs) it seems like not a great place. Uh, but I she tells them this this is uh this comes up in the beginning of Picard a little bit when uh talking about how oh yeah on Romulus there's a there's a you know there's the front door that's that's the trick door everyone just goes to the back door because the front door you don't know who's coming through that thing <laughs> hmm. the hell is wrong with this planet and then oh. later they say you know <laughs> You know, the Romulan secret police? Well, there's actually an even secreter police with a terrible secret. The secret is they don't like robots. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the, that is That sounds good. I need to watch Picard someday. <laughs> um, but she's, she's asking if the intercessor's in trouble and what he did. And she's like, well, it makes no difference to me anyway, because I don't know when they open. Uh, just enjoy your soup, courtesy of a loyal establishment. Like, we're we're not bad. Don't investigate me. So we get the idea. Uh, you know, I said that already. Behind them, uh, two security officers are watching them, though. And Picard notices this and warns Data that they probably can't stay here for too long. But Data spots Pardek a little ways down. And so uh, they're like, oh, okay. And as he passes by, they turn to go speak with him. But the security officers immediately have blasters pointed at them and take them away. So they're taken into a cave and told to wait. And Pardek comes in behind them and says, uh, don't let us frighten you, Captain Picard, and tells them that the Romulan security knows they're there, so they had to get them off the streets. He's like, you're among friends here. 
Um, and, and so Picard tells him, well, we're looking for Spock. And then guess who emerges from the shadows? That's right. It's Spock. And he says, indeed, you have found him, Captain Picard. If, dun, 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 dun. Bum, bum. if I do have one criticism for this episode, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Pardek to be like a a double crosser in this context. Because why wouldn't he just get the fucking police together right now whenever everyone's already gathered? Because they got plans. I mean, they I, gotta I, I, use, they gotta enact the plan. Yeah, I think it makes sense, honestly. Like, and I, I like that they didn't overwrite that. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll talk about that more in part two. But I, I, I really feel like they wrote that just enough where it makes sense that Pardek would double cross Spock like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the reasoning makes sense. You know, right, right, because they they did want to like try to get Spock's willing cooperation, and it just didn't work because Spock's too smart for this shit. Uh, so we are going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about re, uh, not reunification, unification part two. I need water. Me too. And we're back and we're excited to talk about the people that appear in part two in the Star Wars bar. God, I'm so excited to talk about the Star Wars bar. Yeah, Uh, Riker. Yes, Riker is one of them. Uh-huh. And also Worf, he's there as well. Mm-hmm. We, get, we get some Worf lore. Oh my god. Um, okay, anyway, but we'll move on. We'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. Oh, I'm so hyped to talk about it though. I got excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, reunification part two. Uh, reunification, unification part two. There's no re. Changing my notes right now. We're still commemorating Gene Roddenberry at the start of this episode and we have the previous on which we talked about. Previous Seons, they're good, do them. Uh, but we skipped the previously on because we just talked about it. So rewind if you need to. We cut to Spock angrily asks Picard what he's doing here on Romulus. And he says, I'm supposed to ask you the same question. What are you doing here? And he's like, well, it's none of Starfleet's business. I'm on a personal mission for peace. And Picard chides him for his cowboy diplomacy and tells him that uh, if he wants to have missions like this uh, with great repercussions for the Federation, he has to discuss it with the Federation. And, um, and Picard there is now on their behalf. So he's like, discuss it with me. Um, and he's also like, I have to also inform you of some sad news. And Spock's like, oh, Sarek died, didn't he? And Picard's like, yeah. So he's yeah. like, turn and walk with me, Picard. And Spock tells Picard that he's aware of Sarek's mind meld with him to help him complete his final mission. And Picard says that he was a great man. And, and Spock agrees. He was a great leader to the Federation and the Vulcan people. Picard also tells Spock that he was uh, with Sarek before coming to Romulus and expressed to Picard his pride and love for Spock. And Spock's like, oh, yeah, that was a symptom of his illness. <laughs> Picard's <laughs> like, no, no, it came from his heart. Trust me. I know. And Spock explains that uh, he's been aware of for some time in the Romulan Empire, a lot of people who have had a desire to learn the Vulcan ways, uh, even though they're branded enemies of the state for it. And um, some in government are sympathetic to it, like Senator Pardek, who asked Spock to come here because he believes now may be the time to make the first step towards reunification. Spock says it's unlikely to succeed, but he can't ignore the potential rewards. Picard asks what this first step would be, and and Spock tells him, well, there's a new young proconsul in the government who has offered many reforms, and Pardek believes that he may be receptive to hearing from them. So Picard asks why he didn't tell his people about this, and Spock says... Well, you know, previously, and they, they bring up this uh, Kittimer conference where they had uh, tried to have peace talks with the Klingons years ago, and I guess it went badly. See Star Trek Six for more information, I guess. I have not watched that movie. 
but this is the stuff he's talking about. Is that, he, is that what that's from? Okay. I had to look it up because I'm like, I know he's referencing one of the movies, but I don't fucking know it because I don't, I haven't watched the movies. So he, he previously had convinced Captain Kirk to undertake a peace mission with the Klingons and it went really badly. And he's, uh, nobody died, I don't think, but <laughs> it, it was yeah, the threat. He's, he's really making a lot of out nothing here. I mean, they always have missions where nobody dies and it was very dangerous. And usually, in fact, people die, but they are just not named. So yeah. it doesn't count. Yeah, if people died in that, they were unnamed and it doesn't matter. It's not like Kirk died. And, um, He's like, well, I wasn't. I'm not willing to to risk anybody else's life with this. You know, I don't want the. I don't want these consequences. It's just my life that I need to be risked. And so, um, Fox tells Picard, "You got to get out of here, man. I got to finish my mission. You got to leave." And Picard tells uh, tells him that he's not being logical. You're working on emotions, he says. And Spock reminds him that he was involved with this cowboy diplomacy, as he calls it, long before he was born. And Picard's like, "Well, I'm not leaving until your affairs on Mamulus are complete." And uh, Spock compares him to Kirk and his stubbornness. You remind me of another captain of the Enterprise. Uh, Spock, Spock is getting the uh, the full nostalgic return treatment here. This one's for the dads. I was I should have counted how many times people say, "Well, if Spock were here, he would say fascinating," and then he would <laughs> lift his eyebrow. It's um. A lot of fan service in this episode, and I'm not really complaining. I just it's like really egregious, uh, like at one point with the scene between Spock and Data. I think it's funnier if you are not a TOS watcher. You just get to sit back and absorb it. <laughs> yeah, right. that's what I've always done because I haven't watched TOS. I think it's fun. Um, they don't really do nostalgia baiting too much, and so I'm fine with it. Yeah, that's true. They don't. And it's you mean they got Leonard Nimoy on the show finally. They had been trying to for a while. There was like a season two episode that they were gonna have him on and then the writer's strike happened, so it didn't uh, happen. Uh but but now they they finally got Leonard Nimoy on. So you might as well play into just, that just nostalgia. Get it out of your, yeah, just get it out of your system. Like now's <laughs> yeah, the, now's the fucking time. It's not like they're gonna have another episode where they bring on another person from TOS. That would never happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not like Scotty would show up. How do you know about that? Wait, what? Oh, do you not know about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, never mind. That doesn't happen. Shut up. <laughs> no spoilers. Boy, I hope Scotty doesn't show up, apparently. Oh, don't worry. He's definitely not here. He he was human. He would be dead. That's impossible. It would never that's, happen. That's true. That's right. He'd just be that's a right. raisin. <laughs> Uh, so uh data tells the klingon captain that uh they need access to his computers to try to hack the romulan computers and he's like oh i don't think that's possible we've tried many times data's like yeah well i'm smarter than you so give me your damn codes and he's like this is the beginning of a very long sequence of things where this captain's like that's not gonna work and data's like uh skill issue i'm gonna do it anyway Data does skill issue this captain really hard. Uh, but he also tells him, oh, I want to make contact with the Enterprise. And he's like, well, that'll give away our position right away. That's impossible. <laughs> and Data says, oh, no, actually, I, I think if you if you did it by conventional means, for sure. But if we piggybacked on a signal from the Romulan uh, Empire, it would work. And he's like, piggybacking? What is that? Oh, sorry, that's a human phrase. <laughs> and explains it to him. And the captain reluctantly gives his approval. He's like, oh, I guess you can, whatever. I don't so really we... know how I don't know how this works at all. I feel like by piggybacking on a Romulan signal, you'd also be exposing yourself. But I trust Data more than anyone else. 
I I think Data knows what he's doing, and I, it doesn't actually get in the way, so he must have known what he was doing. Yeah. So we see we see a Romulan street. Uh, it's the same Romulan street we've seen. It's the one Romulan street they have. Which we didn't talk about this, but this Romulus sucks. <laughs> like they they occasionally will show this matte painting shot of the city, which look the Senate building looks nice and all that. But then the the street itself is like all dirt, and the buildings are like super boring. And I don't know. They're really like it's really dystopian. Romulus, I will say, is a very dystopian place to live. But we see a. It's basically just like a military state, more or less. Yeah. All the all the funds are allocated towards policing and military, and everything else is just the infrastructure is just does not matter to them apparently. Bro, they don't have chairs. We didn't talk about this, but they, they don't, don't have, have chairs them. at the at the restaurant when they stand at the tables. Yeah, I thought these were supposed to be the the passionate and expressive ones, and I guess that doesn't mean they like art or anything. They're passionate about war. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. War and surveillance. Police, secret police. Right. <laughs> so we, we see this Romulan Street. We see a boy walk up to a man, hands him a pink flower, and this man takes the flower over to a vase at a table where Spock and Picard stand. And this is a sign that the Senate has adjourned and Partick will be there shortly. So Picard is uh, asking Spock about how big this movement is. And Spock tells him that uh, there's, there's chapters in like every populated area. And he's personally spoken to members from four different provinces. And Picard's like, well, even though it's large, like I doubt the size of it is going to like suddenly make the Romulan government want to contemplate peace. And Spock tells him, well, you have a closed mind and closed minds have kept these worlds apart for centuries. And uh, so he's, he's not wrong. I mean, you got to you got to believe, I guess. So the boy comes up to the table and he gives Spock a book and Spock introduces him to Picard as Datan. And he says, uh, Datan's my friend here. He's very curious about uh, about Vulcan. And the book he shows them is an old uh, book about Vulcan separation that is read to them at their meetings. And Partick appears and he tells Zatan, hey, I've, I, you've been told not to bring that out in public. Get out of here. <laughs> so he uh, dismisses them um, or dismisses Zatan and, and he notices the woman who owns the restaurant kind of sneaking glances at them. So he's like, we should talk elsewhere. So they walk down the street, but Partick tells them about how the children like Zatan are their future and old men like him will not be able to stand uh hold on to their old prejudices and hatreds going forward and especially now that they've they've met spock a real vulcan and spock confirms to Picard that he did not expect such a passionate response to his arrival and Partick says that the romulans are a passionate people you will come to know this about us and he tells spock that the proconsul has agreed to meet with him so the enterprise is still investigating the disappearance of the ship from the shipyard at quailar 2 unfortunately we don't get to see the quartermaster again but we do see Riker in this extremely Star Wars ass CD bar. Yeah. Oh my god, I am so glad that Star Trek has finally just gone to Star Wars. It's, it's not super Star Wars. It rules. It it does. It doesn't have quite the set pieces that a Star Wars is like. A Star Wars bar would have like twenty different kinds of alien species, and a lot of them would be like puppets and stuff, being like, "Oh, I'm a wacky alien." And it's it's not that far, but it is much more of like a Star Wars feeling than we've had it at all in this series so far. Um. So he's he's going to. Oh, I, I wonder if, like, would there be, like, Star Trek fans that are, like, not into this, maybe? It's like, oh, this is too Star Wars. I, I want this. I want everything Star Trek, Star Trek to be clean and even. Oh, I'm sure there are, but screw those people. <laughs> <laughs> this is more fun. <laughs> I love this. Uh, you start to see that this more dirtier kind of sci-fi, too, in Deep Space Nine, and that's generally mm-hmm. a, love, a loved series, so I don't know if there's really that many people who don't like it. Um. But he's going to question the ex-wife of uh, the captain of the ship they blew up. 
And this lady, uh, she owns the bar and she has got, she's a big lady. She's got four arms, which I think this is the first time we've, we've seen a humanoid with four arms in the series, which is also very kind of Star Warsy. Mm-hmm. And this lady's face, we mentioned at the top of the show, is uh, kind of a vagina. It is 100% a vagina. It is the most vagina I think we've ever seen so far. Well, I, I wrote that it's, it's like all sewn up. Like it doesn't read to me as vagina, but like it's like they took her face and cut it in half and then just sewed it back up again. And her nose, she's got like these wires going through it that are like this weird nose ring that are very large. And um, it, she's very alien looking, but also very human looking at the same mm-hmm. time. She's truly a land of contrasts. That's and true. I, I love her. She's a great character. Um, and Riker's just like putting on the charm and he's like, hey, how's it going? Uh, you know, and she's like, oh, well, what do you want around here? And, and he's like, well, what do you think I want anything? And she's like, well, your uniform, the, the way you look, you know. Um, and uh, he's like, well, do you know the blues? And and she's like, sweetie. And shows him his forearms like, I, I know seven different kinds of blues. What do you want? <laughs> and starts to play the blues for him. And uh, Riker asks if uh, she knows who his uh, who the business partners are of his ex-husband. Because she, she tells him, like, that's why he's there. It's, it's to ask her about her ex-husband. And she's like, you have to be more specific. And she's, he's like, oh, you're dead one. And so then she recognizes that he must be from the Enterprise, who just blew up his ex-husband. Or blew I, up wanted her ex-husband. Her to say, I wanted her to say, you still got to be more specific. <laughs> I know, really. She's got to have more than one dead ex-husband, but she, she does know which one he's talking about. So Riker asks her about his business partners, and she's just like, and why? Should I help you? And he kind of charmingly smiles, and he says, oh, I can't think of a good reason. And she sighs, <laughs> and she's like, well, you did kill my ex-husband. That's not a bad start. Hey! hey. <laughs> she, she tells him to drop some coins in the jar, and she'll see what she can remember. And but he's like, "I'm um, sorry, I don't have any money." <laughs> and she, this is what happens when you let a Star Trek guy into a Star Wars bar. By the way, he's just like, eh. "She's like, well, what can you offer, buddy?" And he's like, "Okay, well, uh, move over." And so he teaches her piano song from Earth. Says, "There's some blues from the 20th century Earth," and she's like, mm. "Yeah, okay, I got gotcha. you." I think. I would have been wanting a little more, personally. She liked the way he smiled at her. I don't know. What do you want? <laughs> but she tells him to come by in a couple of days because a fat Ferengi arms trader named Omeg will, will come by. And he always asks to hear the same song. Um, and that's that's who, she, who, who he should talk to. So mm-hmm. we, we get this establishing shot of the matte painting of the Romulan Senate. And we see the proconsul in his office. Pardek enters and Spock is in tow. Pardek introduces him, and the proconsul tells Spock to call him Narell, uh, or Narell, whatever. Uh, he's like, oh, I don't like titles. And he, he tries to do the Vulcan hand thing at him, and Spock says, oh, I'm honored. Oh, how do I do this again? Oh, with the fingers. <laughs> and Pardek leaves them uh, with Narell asking, hey, are you and your wife coming to the state dinner tomorrow? And he's like, oh, yeah, we'll be there. And Raul explains to Spock after he leaves and they sit down that it's been years since Pardek has been invited to an official function as he's been too in touch with the common man for most people's comfort. And Spock's like, well, that's their loss. I think he has a unique insight into many issues. And Spock asks him if he's prepared uh, to support reunification. And Raul says, you know, I believe uh, it will eventually come and that the two worlds need to, to, our two worlds need each other. And Spock is surprised by how easy this is. Like he did not expect this answer, and he's, he's like, "Oh well, you know, I didn't really didn't really expect this." You think you can get Senate approval? And Naral tells him that things in the Senate are not as they used to be. That the people are tired of the endless conflicts. 
And uh, times are changing, he says, and leaders that refuse to change with them will no longer be leaders. So Neural says he's willing to openly endorse talks between their peoples and asks how the Vulcans will receive that. And Spock tells him, well, you know, they'll, they'll be cautious. We've uh, been distrusting for generations, um, but, but I think we can work through it. So their meeting is interrupted when Neural's assistant informs him the Senate has reconvened. And Neural's like, well, can we meet again tomorrow? And, and even says, live long and prosper at him as he leaves. But immediately after he leaves, guess who comes out of a room behind Neural? Uh, I hate right. this lady. It's Commander Sela. So, <laughs> so in in the literal underground later in this cave, they're having a heated meeting from these members of this organization about the the news from Proconsul Neral. And Picard is arguing like, "Hey, this makes no sense. You know, like how could he have risen to Proconsul this quickly without the support of the traditionalists in the government? And why would he turn his back on him so quickly?" And and one member's like, "Well, it's because he's not afraid of them." And Spock's like, no, Picard's right. This is not logical for him to support reunification this soon. Something's up here. Uh, and the members believe, oh, no, it's got to be our time for us to be able to come out into the open and be accepted. And, um, and, and someone's like, well, maybe the Federation is just afraid of an alliance between Vulcan and Romulus. Picard's like, no, no, shut up. Spock says that he intends, though, uh, regardless of his suspicions, he contends to continue with his efforts either way, because that's what he's here for. And Spock and Picard exit, and Picard's like, what are you doing, Spock? I think you're letting emotions sway you on this. Like, this doesn't make any sense. And Spock accuses him of sounding like Sarek and tells him that, uh, you know, your experience with Sarek is coloring your views on both reunification and me. And Picard's just concerned that Spock is uh, willingly going into a Romulan trap. And Spock's like, well, we need to uncover whatever ulterior motives they have anyway, so I'm willing to play that role. I'm willing to put myself in this danger. So on the Klingon ship, Data is very sadly out of his prosthetics and looking like himself again. No more Romulan Data. Goodbye, really Romulan just, Data. Yeah, like, do we even see on and off? Mm, no. <sighs> I mean, you say they snap on and off, but I don't like once Data and Picard take them off. I don't think we see them back on again. Data has to change his fucking skin color. Apparently, I, apparently it's easy for him because he's he's back to yellow. <laughs> uh, Spock and Picard enter the ship, and, and Spock asks if he can assist Data in penetrating the Romulan data banks. And so Picard leaves to, leaves to take his ears off for a minute, he says. And this is where we get this very fan service scene where we get Data and Spock comparing their characters as Data's telling Spock that, oh, yeah, I strive to be more human. And Spock's like, really? I always strive to be less human. Strange. It's very funny. Wow. <laughs> and Spock, we are a Spock, land of contrasts. Spock manages to hack the one cipher that Data couldn't and tries to access the proconsul's files. And Data is like, hey, Spock, can I ask you a personal question? As you examine your life, do you uh, do you regret not having that human li part of your life? Or he says, do you, do you miss not having the human part of your life? And Spock tells him he has no regrets. And Data observes the irony of him using a, a human expression in this. And Spock just says, fascinating. In his Spock voice. That means fuck off. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so back at the bar in Quaylar 2, uh, we, oh, my favorite characters in this episode is showing up. I'm so happy. Um, Worf is, Worf is hanging out with, with the ex-wife. Yeah, Worf. Yeah, my favorite character, Worf. And he asks her if she, if she knows any Klingon opera. And specifically, he requests something from Octu and Meloda. And, and she's like, oh, all right, I may be a little rusty, though. And she starts to belt out this Klingon opera, and Worf sings along. Hey, I don't remember. Can you tell me? Have they mentioned Worf's love of Klingon opera at all yet? I want to say it's come up one other time. Because I remember Klingon opera is like a thing. Um, it, I think it was like last week too. Whenever they bring up Kl uh, Klingon opera, um, I 
forget the exact context, but they have they have mentioned it before, and I okay. think it, I think it was uh, uh, similarly uh, denigrated by someone else. <laughs> it yeah. does get denigrated it's, a lot. Yeah, it was probably I think probably something where they just suggested it, and they're like, "Whoa, hold on there, brother, we don't want uh, that." Though uh, Worf's love of Klingon opera becomes a big thing in Deep Space Nine, but I, they don't really bring it up too much in TNG. I think this is the first reference we really get to it. It's it's good because she starts to belt out this Klingon opera and Worf starts singing along with her. And I'm just like clapping like, yay! I love little <laughs> little character details about Worf. But they're interrupted by this uh, fat Frankie coming in like, what's that? Rah, rah, and he's accompanied by two Star Wars-ass concubines on both arms. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> And Worf, uh, Worf tells Riker, like, yo, he's here. They got a fat Ferengi in here. <laughs> he's like, is that is that the one song I hear in the background? Because she started to play it as soon as he comes in. And, and he's like, yep, that's it. So Riker arrives and he starts to question Omega about the Vulcan ship. And Omega's just sitting there, by the way. He's got this platter full of, like, this fish head and, like, some vegetables. And he's like, oh, where's a waiter? I need some napkins. Um... And Breaker comes up and he's he's like asking him about his Vulcan ship. And he's like, I don't know anything about a Vulcan ship. Who would want a Vulcan ship? They're pacifists. I deal in warships. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love him. And uh, Breaker asks him who would want a Vulcan ship. And he answers, hypothetically speaking. Breaker's like, yeah, hypothetically speaking. Like, well, I never learned to speak hypothetical. Hey! <laughs> he starts to laugh at his own <laughs> joke. Got his ass. <laughs> yeah, and the girls all they look at each other and like oh yeah ha ha, ha. oh yeah he's, he's, that was a joke ha, chuckle chuckle um Riker is just put up he's had enough he's not got the patience for this so he takes the plate in front of omeg and just shoves it onto his lap and then like runs over and picks him up by the collar and just starts threatening him and telling him like you know if you uh don't cooperate with me then your rights to the sector are going to be attracted and i'm going to beat the shit out of you basically <laughs> like <laughs> And he folds immediately. Like he's, he's just He's very easily persuaded. Yeah, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I delivered the ship to a Barolian freighter near the neutral zone. Here's the coordinates. Bye. So Riker sets him down and he grabs a napkin from behind him and like gently pats his face and like tucks the napkin in his vest and he just says, Enjoy your dinner. I miss him, mate. We don't have enough Frankie in the show. Frankie yeah. are funny. They're great. I love them all. I do too. Uh, so on the bridge of the Enterprise, Riker shares this information with Picard, who in turn tells him uh, of Spock's plan of pursuing reunification. And they're they're doing this over like the piggyback signal, so it's like a really shitty transmission, which I appreciate the detail too. Uh, but the Enterprise heads to Galandan Core, where this ship was uh, supposed to be delivered, to try to sort out this mystery, since the Borolian involvement likely means Romulan involvement, apparently. Uh, so Data, meanwhile, has found a transmission from the Romulan surface to a Barolian freighter at the Galandan Core from Romulan intelligence that simply says 1400. And uh, on back on the Romulan surface, Spock is stopped by Detan on the street who shows him his uh, like Vulcan language dice from when he was a child. He's like, yeah, my parents wanted me to learn the Vulcan language as their parents so that when we are reunified someday, we can communicate with our cousins. Because, you know, we don't have universal translators or anything. But Listen. It's a nice little message. Okay. It's, it is nice. It's, it's a nice little detail. Yeah. And another member tells Spock that the Federation people have returned and need to see him in the cave. So <laughs> it's funny to see people in a cave. It's it's very let's, funny let's that we all have, go hang out in the cave. 
Well, yeah, and Romulus is supposed to be this really developed planet that's supposed to be like on par with the Federation, and then they've just got people hanging out in this stupid cave. And this, is like, like this is like a major city. This isn't just like some like bum town they're in too. They're in like a major city. Yeah, they're just in a cave. I uh, you know. <laughs> so Pardic, uh, Picard, and Data meet with Spock in this cave, and Picard and Data, for some reason, are not in their Romulan costumes. They're in Starfleet uniforms. And Picard tells uh, tells them of the communique they had, um, or the the one four zero zero. And Spock immediately knows that this means that the proconsul has been deceiving him about the talks of peace, because the time for the subspace announcement of peace that he was going to make is set for fourteen hundred hours tomorrow. And Pardek asks, uh, "Well, why would they need a Vulcan ship?" And we hear a familiar voice saying, "That will become clear very shortly." And it's Commander Sela. Oh no. What? And they're rushed by the Romulan security guards as uh, Commander Sela has found them. And Sela says, oh, hi, Captain Picard. And she says, also hi to Data as she's like, oh, and you're the android I've come to respect in battle, which is oh, such a weird callback to Redemption Part 2. You you were asking why she had, she had to say that one line early on in that episode. Now you got your answer. No, she respects she, him so much. I'm, I'm going to say she did not have to say it then, and she does not have to say this now. <laughs> It is critically important, and you're just denying it. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be really important when Sila comes back in the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Pardek, uh is just shocked, and he's like, oh, someone must have betrayed us. And Spock immediately is like, yes, you did. And he's like, what, Spock? We've been friends for 80 years. And, and Spock says, it's the only logical conclusion, as you are the one who uh, asked me here, who arranged the meetings with the proconsul, and who knew that Picard and Data had returned to the surface with new information. And he's like, oh, I guess you got me. Shoot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I, we were talking about that in, uh, in part one. But I, I do think that it makes sense that Pardic didn't immediately just like hand them over to the secret police. Because they were trying to get Spock's willing cooperation with this peace thing. Because right. this was always their plan. Um, and so this, this kind of fell apart because they found out that the... the um, Enterprise has been investigating the stolen ship, and they're like, "All right, we got to do something different now." Uh, but it also, like, I love that they added the detail of not overriding that uh, Pardek is, of course, doing this because he's been out of favor with the Romulan government for so long, and this is his way back in good graces. Like, he's been reinvited to a state dinner for the first time in years because he's doing this, you know. And they they just kind of yeah, hinted no, on that. that. Makes sense. Yeah, and I and I just like I really like when they don't overwrite things. Thank you, Star Trek The Next Generation. Because it makes me feel smart when I figure things out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. Uh, but Zila takes uh, thanks Pardek for his service to the Romulan people and tells the others not to distress as their dream of reunification will take place in a different form, the Romulan conquest of Vulcan. And they're dragged away. Wait a minute. I don't like that at all. <laughs> so meanwhile, the Enterprise has reached Golondon Core. But his, uh, finds nothing out of the ordinary there. And Worf finds a, a coded subspace signal from Romulus, allegedly from Picard in text only, telling them to, to remain at Galorndon Core, that the diplomatic mission is succeeding, and he will advise. So Spock, Picard, and Data are shown uh, into Sila's office. And Spock and Picard sit down, and she's like furiously typing away at a pad. And she's like, sorry, I'm just finishing up a speech. It's for you, Spock. And she's like, I like writing, but I don't get to do it very much. And I like how Data adds, like, well, maybe you'd be happier in a different job. And she just glares at him, like, no. So she... What's wrong? It's, he's being nice, you know? He's your friend. 
Yeah, he's just trying to be helpful. Uh, but she she wants uh, Spock to read it next to the proconsul, telling the Vulcan people to expect an envoy of peace from Romulus, and it will be broadcast on all Federation subspace channels. And then uh, three stolen Vulcan ships, not just one, but three stolen Vulcan ships, will arrive to Vulcan and take it over immediately before they know what's happening, and they'll just become entrenched in Vulcan. Because uh, they're I, like, well, I feel like you can't take out take out an entire planet like that with three fucking ships just storming the Senate. Well, they'll be they were going to be accompanied, I think, by uh, cloaked Romulan ships as well. Okay, but like, it's not going to work. They must be really pacifist over there. They are though. This is going to work. I think I think it would have worked. Because they would all just like... stand around and say, "Hmm." The logical thing is for me to run away. Goodbye. <laughs> um, and Picard's like, well, you know, the Federation is going to respond to that. And she's like, well, yeah, we expect that. But we'll be entrenched before they can do anything. And we'll just be like the reunification is going to happen, whether they like it or not, because we're going right. to be there. Uh, and, and Spock says that he will refuse to cooperate. He's not going to read the speech. And she's like, well, if you don't, I'll kill you. I'll kill all of you. And Spock says, well, it's logical to conclude that you will, uh, we will all die anyway, so there's no reason to comply. And she just like glares at him and squints and says, I hate Vulcans. <laughs> I hate the logic. Ah, oh, you're so logical. You're so brilliant. Damn. Oh, why is this guy so cool? Uh, but she has a backup plan. Did Star Trek invent deep fakes? Because we got a Spock deep fake. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> They got a Spock deepfake to deliver the speech instead, and she shows it to them, and it's like, uh, by now, your Federation sensors have picked up a fleet of Vulcan ships headed out of the neutral zone, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, she's like, we were hoping for an interactive Spock instead, but this we'll just have to do. So for some reason, for some godforsaken reason, the three of them are left alone in Sila's office. It makes no... We have some, I have something else to do. Goodbye. Yeah, they just all leave. Like Literally. she has guards with her, and they just should, walk should we, out. Should we like just have someone stay in here or something? No, leave them alone. There's nothing they can get into. My desk drawers are locked. It's fine. And, besides all of our computers. Well, and Spock asks Data as soon as they leave. He's like, "Hey, do they know that we have access to their computers?" And Data's like, "Oh, I don't think so." And Spock's like, "All right, good. We can use that." <laughs> like, what the? The, uh... Mistakes were made clearly. Sila's not very good at her job, I'm going to say. She's really botching, like, job after job here. Um, so on the Enterprise, they pick up the Vulcan ships, as predicted, and they're headed towards Vulcan at Warp 1, because they had said, like, oh, you know, the Enterprise is going to intercept those Vulcan ships. And she's like, well, they'll be pulled away. So we've been warned that the Enterprise is going to be pulled away from this. Um, but they're, they're headed towards Vulcan at Warp 1, and Worf contacts them, and, uh, tell, and they, they tell him that they're escorting a peace envoy from Romulus, and to watch Federation subspace channels for Spock's speech that will be happening soon. And Jordy checks to see if any of them are the ship that they're looking for, but the transponder signals don't match at all. Uh, but he's like, but they could have been altered. And so Riker sets a course to intercept in spite of the uh, captain's orders to stay put. The quote-unquote captain's orders, which he was always suspicious of. So Sila and her guards re-enter her office, and she's just like, what? Where did they go? They, there's no way they could have gotten out of this office. <laughs> so simply not possible. She hears Riker behind her saying, that's far enough. Stay right where you are. And she turns to see him and two Starfleet security officers pointing phasers at them. And it, she's it, just like, what? Specifically, it's Riker, but he forgot to put moose in his hair. Yeah, he's got like a bit of hair that's hanging off to the side. And their, their uniforms also are a little dated looking. But uh, Oh, I didn't, I didn't notice that. I just immediately noticed that his hair was all floppy. 
the other two officers have like old looking uniforms oh. um, and she's just like what how did you get in here and he just says drop your weapons and so Sila and the other Romulans just start firing on them and Fiker just keeps repeating drop your weapons drop your weapons and the hey, blasts go <laughs> the blasts go right through them and she's like ah they're holograms cease fire um and Spock just emerges from the holographic wall and Vulcan nerf pinches the hell out of one of the Romulans <laughs> falls over Picard uh, appears from the wall and just merely punches one in the face who also falls over and um Spock makes some joke about cowboy diplomacy to Picard, which is a good little reference there to the earlier bit in the episode where they talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so Data reappears from the console uh, where it was also holographically hidden. And Picard tells him, well done, but I don't think you quite got Commander Riker's hair right. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. If anyone should get it right, it's the literal robot who has digital memory. He yeah, he's forgot. been kind of off this, uh, this last couple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> he's so distracted see- by, I don't know, like, a dog he saw so spock has a, a blaster disruptor or whatever pointed at sila and he's like i don't know quite know how the settings on this work so you better not do anything and she's like there's nothing you can do anyway now the announcement's going to go out in a couple minutes and the romulan forces are going to be on vulcan before you can alert anyone so we see the enterprise speeding to intercept the vulcan ships and uh, crusher appears on the bridge to inform them that there's been a priority one distress call from a nearby system um that they have had a uh the planetary environmental controls have failed and they need evacuation immediately and the enterprise is the only ship nearby capable of providing that kind of assistance and Jordi has still been unable to tie uh the vulcan ships to the stolen one at all so Riker reroutes them to the dilysium 4 to help with the evacuation but then the um, the message from romulus comes in on all subspace channels so they tune in and spock appears and he begins his speech as demonstrated in the hologram earlier you know, by now, the Federation sensors are tracking three Vulcan ships headed towards the neutral zone or headed across the neutral zone. However, the speech diverts. Hologram Spock instead warns that these ships carry a Romulan invasion force and must be stopped. Hey, and wait the, a minute. The signal That's immediately cuts off. <laughs> yes, somebody's just like, oh, crap, pull the switch. And the signal cuts off. And uh, Riker tells Crusher, you know, hey, contact Dilysium 4 and confirm that distress call is real because I think that might be fake. And um, they continue to intercept the Vulcan ships. I'm glad that we just had Crusher receive a signal for some reason because she hadn't been on the show yet. You know, yes. I yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. Even though it's in a medical emergency, I don't think they'd send that directly to her. Yeah, that's not quite how communications works. Not really, no. But hi, hi, Doctor Crusher. We're glad to see you. Glad you got to do something this episode. Maybe you'll get an episode again one day. Oh, she does. Well, <laughs> I know about grandma. I know. You oh, know you, about don't grandma. Know. you don't know. Don't. So back in Sila's office, Data tells him um, that he, he or Data tells Spock and Picard that he's sure the message got through, and Sila tells him, "Well, you're never going to be able to make it out of this building." And, but Data's like, "No, I have an escape plan ready. I think this will be fine." But he, he looks to Sila and he's like, "But I'm afraid we can't let you warn your guards." And so he does the Vulcan nerve pinch on her to knock her out, and Spock just says, "Hmm, not bad." It's fucking fan service. Um, so the Enterprise observes the Vulcan ship convoy start to retreat, but Riker says, oh no, they're not taking those Vulcan ships home with them. However, a Romulan warboard decloaks next to them, and uh, they go to red alert. Riker issues them a warning that they're in Federation space and they will fire, but the uh, the Vulcan, or the, the Romulan ship fires up their, their forward phasers, powers them up, and instead fires on the Vulcan ships, destroying their own invasion forces of 2,000 troops, which I don't know how they knew it was 2,000 troops, but they apparently did. Scanned it. I guess so. 
but they, wow. they fire and immediately destroy all three of those Vulcan ships, uh, killing their own people before recloaking and retreating. Riker observes that they uh, they killed them all rather than have them take, be taken prisoner. And Riker asks Worf to tell the Klingon ship to notify them when Picard and Data are safely back on board. So back in the caves, Satan leads Spock, Picard, and Data, saying these caves are safe. And part <laughs> of like, doesn't know Don't them. worry. This is a different cave that is yeah. cool. This this cave is our backup cave. We part of didn't know about this one. Uh, but Picard asks them what they'll do now, and they say that they'll do what they've always done. They'll meet and they'll teach and they'll wait for a night, uh, day when new ideas aren't persecuted. And Picard tells them that the Federation also waits for that day, and uh, they, they leave to try to catch their transport site. And Spock stops them to tell Picard that he's not going with them. He intends to stay on Romulus and work towards reunification. He says, the answer has been in front of me all along. It's these people. I just need to educate these people about Vulcan, and it's going to happen naturally. And Picard tells him, you know, I've learned that there's no point in arguing with you when you get your mindset to something. And Spock says, well, it's, I found our arguments actually to be quite useful, much as I did with my father's. This is, this is a good uh, speech that Spock does where he says, well, you see, um, actually, they will naturally come around to the superior Vulcan way of thinking. It's just a matter <laughs> of time. This is logical. That is such a Star Trek philosophy, though, isn't it? Like, that is the core of Star Trek. It's like, well, eventually people are just going to realize that peace is better than war and it'll happen naturally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it's, Big Gene was all about. It's such an optimistic show, and you you really kind of admire it, even though it might be misguided sometimes. I don't know. Mm. But Picard does tell Spock that his father felt the same way about their arguments. And uh, Spock laments that he's like, yeah, you, you know my father better than I ever did because we never chose to meld. And Picard offers him the chance to meld with him to get a touch of what Sarek shared with him. So he, he takes it. And he uh, touches Picard's face and melts with his mind. And he just is immediately filled with emotion as Picard smiles. It's a sweet little moment. It is. And that's the end of the episode. So, goodbye, two-parter. Uh, yeah, it, it wraps up real, real nice. Um, it's if I, if I had one actual knock on this episode, while there are some nameless uh, Romulans who are like, we still want to help. I wish there was like a named character on Romulus we could kind of hang our hat on to have some hope for that faction rather than it just being some just nameless underground people. Well, we have Deton. He has a name. He's eh, just a little brat. <laughs> He's just a little brat. We yeah. do. Uh, Deep Space Nine does actually get into the idea of possibly Romula, uh, Romulus coming around and and being a. Uh... Okay. in an alliance with them at some point so th- there is that to look forward to it's it's a long ways off in deep space nine but they do actually get back to that so cool yeah it isn't go- it doesn't go nowhere but i will tell you hayes right now this is the last episode we see commander sila in so that character goes nowhere really yes yeah huh. this is the last appearance of commander sila maybe, does, maybe not, Data- does not feel like a send-off is there ever like a is there a behind the scenes reason why they cut that character off I don't know if there is one or not, but my my head cannon now is going to be that Data just nerve pinched her so hard she died. She never I, woke up. I guess she I never think, woke up. Yeah, I bet she just got fired for sucking ass. She probably did because she really has botched. Like this was really botched. The Klingon thing was really botched. Like she's just and she yeah. probably had a lot of people that didn't like her in the first place because she's half human. Do you, do you think that she just messed up one too many times? Now she's in a Romulan gulag for the rest of her life. She's probably just like in a like a low level accounting office or something. She just yeah. got demoted to some paper pusher job. You really can't get away with this Team Rocket shit on Romulus. They don't take it. 
yeah, they're like, this is too embarrassing. We're not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I don't know if there's a behind the scene reason or not. Uh, I, I, it really was not great what they did with the character and how they kind of uh, played with Tasha Yar's legacy in that way. So that could be a reason they decided not to bring her back. For the best that she's relatively forgotten now, rather than her getting like dragged out and having to have a conclusion, because she's like fine as like a villain, but as soon as I start to think about her backstory, it's just kind of like, it's gross, yeah. And so yeah, her her not appearing again in the future is is all right, and it's good, I guess, that they had another appearance after the Klingon thing because they really needed something else. But this still doesn't feel like a conclusion to her character at all. It just feels like they forgot about her. And uh, that's fine, I guess. It works up, out. I'm going to look up Sela here. I'm going to see if there's any uh, memory alpha things I can learn. There might be some. I don't think you'll get any spoilers there, so you should be good. Hmm. So next week, we may have a new episode next week. We're not entirely sure if we're going to or not, but we will try. Uh, and if we do, it's going to be about Worf's son Alexander is going to come back to the Enterprise. <gasps> oh. <sighs> and also some other crap happens that I don't remember. But New Ground is that episode, and then we may also talk about Hero Worship, which is a data episode. Hmm. We'll see. I'm we'll see what happens. This picture. Data's in it. There is a data. There's a data, and there's a boy with him. And we may have variations on a theme of an episode we did previously, but we'll, we'll see what happens. So Who can say? Stay tuned. No we'll put it out that episode when we put it out. Hell yeah. Did you know that Star Trek Discovery has an episode called Unification 3 in the 32nd century. And I read the synopsis and it was very confusing. So I don't really know uh, if it's uh, what it's about because it's all in the future. I don't think so. Well, then it doesn't matter. (laughs) That's the only thing I care about is this Commander Sela's in it or not. Um, but thank you guys out there for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email them to us at beam to sickbay at gmail.com. We do love to hear from you. You can find us now on blue sky, um, which I will eventually get the URL up on there, but right now it's at M I R Q dot B sky dot social. That's mm-hmm. just, that's just me, but I'll post stuff about the, about the podcast on there. Uh, so again, thank you out there for listening. Thank you. McFreeze. Thank you. Hayes for being here and talking about star Trek. Absolutely. Thank you, Star Trek. We will see you next time. Bye. Wait for Hayes to say goodbye. Bye bye. Bye. I was like, (laughs) please, please. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, bye -bye.